What's up, fellow Canarians? This is Sam. And this is Dan from GodsPropertyRadio.com, fellow Christian podcast, Don't Buy Into What the World is Selling. Just wanted to tip our hats to Basil and Gons and say we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if it weren't for our Canary Cry Radio. We just wanted to give you another special thanks, Gons, for coming on our show for episode six of the God's Property Radio podcast. I just want to encourage you guys to keep getting the word and the word out. And God bless. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep thinking outside the cage, y'all. Where is the European Union? Much like the European continent itself, which has an unclear boundary, the European Union also has some fuzzy edges to it. To start, the official members of the European Union are, in decreasing order of population, Germany, France, the United Kingdom, Italy, Spain, Poland, Romania, the Kingdom of the Netherlands, Greece, Belgium, Portugal, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Sweden, Austria, Bulgaria, Denmark, Slovakia, Finland, Ireland, Croatia, Lithuania, Latvia, Slovenia, Estonia, Cyprus, Luxembourg, and Malta. I'm not saying that there should be no competition between enterprises. I don't think there should be no competition between states inside the European Union on fiscal and social policies because at the end, we're going always to the bottom. And if we go to the bottom, then we have no more social protection and we have very Not low. necessarily. And I don't believe that's necessary. But one thing you're talking about is competition between businesses. And yet, the single market is not a single free market. It's a single regulated market. And all you're simply doing with that is removing competition, aiding the large corporates and small businesses lose out. That's the impact of excessive regulation. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Here's Basil and Gons. to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 69. 69. Uh, our guest today is Erica Gray. She's an evangelical Christian author, prophecy expert, teacher, and commentator. She's considered by Yahoo and the British publication Global Watch Weekly as a major geopolitical analyst. And her website is ericagray.com where she has books, blogs, articles, and even a radio broadcast. Uh, Erica focuses on current affairs, the European Union and its relation to Bible prophecy and issues that affect individuals living in these last days. She is also known for her uh, analytical approach to uh, research. Also, her sound, in-depth research is recognized by going to hard sources and not so much of the conspiracy type that we're familiar with here on this show, and we'll talk about that today. She's written several books, End of the World, The Revelation Prophecy, The Antichrist of Revelation 666, The Revived Roman Empire, Europe in Bible Prophecy, and The Seat of the Antichrist, Bible Prophecy and the European Union. It's our honor to have on Erica Gray. Erica, how you doing? Uh, great, and thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here as well. Absolutely. You know, we had uh, uh, just a little bit of behind the scenes for everybody here on the show. Well, some would say that I was sleeping in and caused a, uh, a delay in recording this broadcast. I would say that I was doing, I was getting in the zone, doing some extra preparation. I was just doing it in, in the dream world. And I think that this interview in your is your astral body. Yeah, I think this interview is really going to um, glean a lot of benefit from that. 
but I do apologize for making you wait, Erica Gray. That's okay. I understand. <laughs> okay. So why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into this stuff. What's your inspiration? The inspiration was I became a born-again Christian right before my 18th birthday. And of course, prophecy teachings are one of the first things that you learn and all the conspiracies. And about 10 years later, I said to myself, you know, these things were supposed to happen. The conspiracy to take over the world, none of it had happened. So really, this just started as a Bible study to see if we were in fact in the end times. And I knew that I would approach it uh, very differently. I would approach it analytically and I would look at viable sources. So that's how this actually began. You're saying as a young girl, you started researching this stuff? I was always fascinated by prophecy. Even before I was born again, I read the book of Revelation at about 13 years old and just found the writing so mysterious and so intriguing. And it was actually Bible prophecy that led to my salvation. And then, of course, as soon as I become saved, what is the pastor teaching but the book of Revelation? So that's how it began. Mm. That's awesome. You sound very precocious as a child. Now, you, you kind of put a, a, an extra emphasis on um, not being a conspiracy theorist or even considering conspiracy theories. Uh, why so much? Because you don't find one in Scripture. If you can show me where any of this comes about via a conspiracy, and any time prophecy was fulfilled, when you look at the prophecies concerning Israel, it all happened as the events of the day were occurring. As a matter of fact, you can almost look back uh, when Assyria invaded Israel, when Babylon invaded Israel. And if you didn't know Bible prophecy, you would have just thought that was history unfolding. And it's the same way with the end times. There just, there absolutely is no conspiracy that I can find in scripture. That's interesting. Um, I mean, this is something I could be taking out of context and tell me if I am. I've always looked at Psalm 83 as an interesting scripture there, and I realize that it is talking about perhaps some different times uh, in the past, but uh, Psalm 83, I believe it is 3, says, they lay crafty plans against your people, and some translations say conspire, um, and other translations say, you know, uh, with cunning they conspire against your people, they plot against those you cherish. What do you say to stuff like that, where it's not an outright you know, it's not necessarily in the prophetic sense of what we're supposed to be looking for, but, but it is there. Well, that actually is no different than what Adolf Hitler did. I mean, it wasn't a conspiracy what Hitler did, but behind the scenes, it was very crafty. He was designing, you know, the final solution. You know, it, it really, a conspiracy is when you have a group of people who conspire for a government takeover or for a takeover of something. And that's what's taught in evangelical circles. And that is not what is predicted in scripture. But it doesn't mean that behind the scenes, once the Antichrist is in power, he will be making those plans and designs against the people of God. Okay. No, I, I so can see that. So you're saying that the, the coming... Uh, whatever the world looks like in the preparing itself for the Antichrist, you're saying that it's not a conspiracy, it's just sort of the organic 
a series of events that leads up to the Antichrist coming. There's no group of people sort of preparing the world for his return? No. <laughs> it's just, that's actually just the, what, what is uh, interesting is if you look at the Antichrist, you actually find that he's the one that comes into the governmental entity that he takes power in, and he yeah. raises it to its pinnacle of power. So it doesn't even mean that the people who are necessarily mm. in the government or fighting for that government at that time are evil. He's evil. He is the son of Satan. If you read in Daniel, he raises it to the pinnacle of power. When you also read the prophecy concerning Lucifer, you know, where through trade and how he brings gold into the treasury, well, that's talking about the final world empire, and it is Satan himself or the son of Satan. So, so much is on the Antichrist. It's he's the deceiver, mm. not a group of people, but he will be in league uh, with the council of uh, with his council of ten, who for one hour receive power, you know, with him, who he coaxes along with him, but there's not a conspiracy that's going to bring it about. Mm, that's actually very interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, just out of curiosity, now we've we've looked at a lot of um, you know, I know I know you don't look at necessarily the. I guess the fringe or you can say supernatural or paranormal angle of a lot of these things, but, um, and we'll get into some of the, you know, the more the mark of the, of the beast and the European union and everything else. But, you know, there's writings from people like Alice Bailey and, and, you know, there's groups like the, the Masonic lodge and, and several others. I know, you know, with the evangelical circles, uh, the talks about, um, the Masons is, is a pretty big thing, you know, that they've, always discussed as part of this quote-unquote conspiracy. So what do you say to someone like Alice Bailey who wrote, you know, about this New World Order and we need to prepare the way for, or she even has a book called um, The Reappearance of the Christ. In essence, she's talking about what seems to be the Antichrist from the Christian perspective, but from her perspective, it's this world leader, this world savior. And, you know, she talks about we need to set the stage, we need to build the infrastructure, we need to do all these things. What do you say to something like that? A lot. <laughs> You're about <laughs> to hear it, okay? First of all, uh, we're not in the New World Order anymore. That was uh, George Bush. We are now geopolitically in the age of empires. Now, you don't hear it too much by United States think tanks. You'll hear it more in Europe. You'll hear it more from European Union politicians. The age of empires is actually what Daniel described. Daniel described geopolitically an age of empires, not a new world order. The leading empire in the age of empires is going to become the European Union. But the European Union already is an empire, a self-proclaimed empire. You can go onto YouTube and you can type in Barroso uh, empire, and you'll find where he actually described that is the makeup of the European Union. So that, that totally does away with the New World Order. The second thing about the Masons is I believe that Satan 
just is the father of lies, of, of disinformation, because he doesn't want believers to know the truth. And what has absolutely blown me away is that in Europe, you have a European federalism, which drives the European, it's the ideology that drives the European Union. As democracy drives the US, and as communism drives China, federalism, and right now you have three potential presidents who are on a federalist platform. Well, the reason they're on a federalist platform is because that is the ideology that drives the European Union. And if you read the, the teachings of federalism, which, by the way, I want to state that I'm neutral politically because everything makes sense to me intellectually, but I understand that it is Satan and the Antichrist who comes in and perverts everything and will misuse everything. But federalism uh, actually wants to unite the world. And the belief is that uh, the European Union would act as the cornerstone for uniting the globe. And the European Union's laws are based on those of world institutions. So while everybody is looking at the Masons and none of these conspiracies are coming about, the Federalist movement in the European Union is so sophisticated, key leaders, key prime ministers, now you have potentially the next leader of the EU who is going to be a Federalist and is going to form it along those lines. And they've stated their goal long ago was to act as the cornerstone for uniting the world because they believe that if the world is united, there will be no more wars. And that's your wine in the cup of the whore of Revelation 17, this idea that the brotherhood of man, that we can have this ideal society, that we can have this teaching. So that totally refutes, uh, and you can go on, just study, uh, read their writings, read about how national sovereignty is outmoded, read about key leaders that belong to it. You can become a Federalist, by the way. <laughs> Anybody can become a Federalist. Tell this me how. You go online and you join. Actually, I'm followed on Twitter by certain Federalists. I don't it is the Antichrist who comes in and then takes this thing and then turns it, you know, he's a deceiver. He comes in, he'll come into the European Union, he's going to build it up, nations are going to prosper, people are going to be happy, and then at the three and a half year mark, he steps into that temple and he reveals who he really is. And all of a sudden, everything turns upside down. And then God's judgments are completely unleashed. But for the first, go ahead. Uh, I was going to just jump in and, and ask, you know, because it seems like from my perspective and some of the things I've studied, the the ideology that you talk about of this globalization and, you know, the ending of wars and all these things, it was the same the same ideology that the new world order possessed and, and that, you know, they've been talking about that for a long time. Now, do you think there's sort of an internal, uh, within the global elite, uh, an internal battle or war or, or race, so to speak, to see who can create that order or establishment first, or is it kind of, um, as Basil, you know, mentioned earlier, is it kind of organic? Uh, and that's, that's the first part of the question. Second part is, so is this idea, do you think this idea of globalization that's really going on itself is not necessarily evil, but, you know, perhaps just the platform of which the Antichrist can 
you know, take hold. And, it's and absolutely, it's going to be the platform. Because if you read the writings of the Federalists, they really believe this is for the betterment of society. And, but he will take that platform, just like technology. He is going to use technology for his police state. That would not happen with any of the empires right now. But we know he's going to use it, and he's going to use it to control people. Uh, but as far as federalism, um, I think the thing that's so shocking to me is how so people, so many people really don't understand it. And yet the writings are everywhere. Federalist, uh, key federalist think tanks formulated European Union policy. And you have now a backlash in the European Union over federalism, and you have some parties that have just, you know, taken hold. But it's been very dominant through the European Union's evolution, and actually they make U.S. globalists look like pansies, <laughs> okay? And U.S. globalists just kind of seem to, you know, it, it is the way things are going, but it's not as sophisticated. Go into some of the writings and you'll see what I'm talking about. They're published in Italy. They're right. published in Belgium. Now, I have a, a quick question, and I hate to take a step back if that's indeed what this is, but you had mentioned that the New World Order is old news and that that was um, sort of the era of George W. Bush. But now we're moving into this new thing. In what way was the New World Order, I don't know, a part of the scene? Was it existent with George W. Bush? Was that just, have they just shi shifted their focus now? Or uh, well, No, what's what happened is George W. Bush was the first one who coined the phrase. And at that time, it was a new world order because you had the fall of communism. Uh, is she dropping out, Basil? Yeah, she's dropping out. Okay, e Erica, you, you dropped out a couple times. Are you still there? Yeah, is uh, this better? Yeah, you're, you're back. There you go. Um, okay. You go ahead. Um, Okay, so, wow, I don't know how that happened, but, um, okay, right now we're in what's called a multipolar world. You have uh, China, you have Brazil, India, you know, those uh, countries were not as uh, powerful, we're not as powerful economically, we're not as big. So we're in what is actually called a multipolar world. What you have that's formed since that time, the European Union right now is 500 and 14 million citizens. It's actually the world's largest economy uh, to the U.S.'s 312 million citizens. So it's a different world than was about 20 years ago. You have countries, you know, we, we formed along with Canada, you know, the trade agreement. You have different trade agreements and different things that have actually shifted. And one of the things I talk about is we're going to have another geopolitical shift. And what you're going to see is you're going to see the EU rise to power as the U.S. continues to decline. And I'm anticipating a, uh, that at some point we are going to see the U.S. dollar cease to be the world's reserve. Right. Yeah, and we've actually already seen that starting to happen with certain countries completely... Uh selling out their dollars. Now, again, just I just want to thoroughly hit the situation with the new world order sort of slipping away as you say it, it is and has been doing. We just uh, on our last flyby here mentioned that um, the vice president of the United States here again mentioned a new world order and building a new world order in a speech just recently. Has he 
not gotten the memo? I mean, I think <laughs> no, if anybody, if anybody gotten, didn't get the memo, I think it's Biden, but, you know. Uh, you, exactly. You, I'm going to be so bold as to state that the U.S. is the last person to know, or the last people to know. Even when you read the think tanks uh, coming out of the United States or the media, uh, the U.S. media concerning the European Union is so ignorant the United States is ignorant. For instance, I wrote an article uh, actually for uh, Blog Active. It's a European Union policy website, and I have a blog there. And I wrote an article, What Putin is Not Telling the Media. And actually, the conflict in the Ukraine was your, your first conflict of the age of empires. And if you looked at UK Ukraine, which is a border country for Russia, and you look at how big the EU is already become. And now if it went into Ukraine, which was exactly what the EU was looking to do, was to not only form an association agreement, but eventual, uh, eventually have the Ukraine become a member of the European Union. And you have the Ukraine, which is the second largest landmass um, in Europe. And uh, Russia had no choice. That was a geopolitical move that Russia had to make. And it was your first conflict in the age of empire. That was actually empire to empire. Russian empire, European Union empire. And um, the U.S. is like in the dark as, you know, this is about this and this is about that. And it's like, you know, from the standpoint of Russia, what Russia did made a lot of sense. And now Russia has just formed a, another, uh, an actually economic block because they're paying attention to what's going in Europe. Putin is paying attention to what's going on. I don't think the U.S. is. I don't think the U.S. has paid attention for some time. They still think we're in the old order. They still think that the U.S. Uh, is deciding things, and they're not paying it. To, and what I'm giving you is facts concerning the numbers. I just brought, uh, actually, I just interviewed James Rickards, and uh, he's an absolutely brilliant man. He's an economist. He wrote The uh, Death of Money, uh, which is an excellent book. It actually, I stated that it could be a companion book for my own. And, you know, we had a discussion, and he's, uh, he actually, see, he consulted the U.S. Pentagon, Wall Street, 35 years. I mean, he's got credentials like it's nobody's business. And he stated, basically, what was in line with what I'm stating, that uh, he actually stated that Europe is doing everything right. And once the EU issues its own bonds akin to U.S. treasuries, if the U.S. dollar doesn't topple, we're going to see at that point the euro just by virtue of it making all the right decisions. And by the way, he also likes the European Central Bank versus the Federal Reserve. He, uh, the Federal Reserve he treats as a bunch of cowboys uh, concerning their monetary policy. But it was interesting because here you had myself, a prophecy expert, and, and when he cites his expertise, I mean, he's John Hopkins, honor student. I mean, he's, like I said, he's got credentials like his nobody's business. And we both agreed that we've both now come to the same place. Uh, and I'm going to tell you something. If I was a conspiracy theorist, that man would not have given me the right time of day. Okay? Yeah. 
That is a good point. That's a good point, yeah. Uh, now, and I don't give anybody who's a conspiracy theorist the right time of day because it just, it, it, it just I, I mean, I hate to sound critical, but I'm about to sound very critical. It just sounds very ignorant. Well, we must be very ignorant people. Um, I'm just kidding. Well, well because <laughs> I'm kidding. you're not... Because unfortunately, within the evangelical circles, a lot of the people who've been teaching, I mean, you're a production person and you're doing different things. That's not your field. So who are you relying on but the teachers within the evangelical community? And a lot of the teachers, you know, they weren't journalists. They weren't, um, you know, they were, they were theologians. So they're taking little bitty news headlines and then they're forming. And then when the news headlines, when they didn't have the headlines, the conspiracy theories, well, that fills all the gaps. Then you don't have to do any real research because the conspiracy is going to make it all happen. Right. Sure. Those are valid, um, definitely, definitely valid points. And, you know, I think we've, we all sort of deal with that. I know Gons and I definitely deal with that yeah. <laughs> on a daily basis. So I appreciate your, uh, the way you do things. And I think it's a, it's refreshing, even though the ends that you mention, you know, aren't as talked about as probably they should be paying enough attention to the EU. Um, well, that's so, why the Lord has me doing what I'm doing right now. <laughs> right. Um, I'm that voice. No, it's very, very good. And it's good we got you on here. It's, we, I don't think we've um, had a, a good, solid geopolitical talk on the show in, in quite a while. Uh, speaking of which, how do you see radical Islam? sort of playing into this is is that uh, a key factor in what's going on how does because i know europe is having a lot of problems right now with the islamic um i mean i guess we're all having problems the islams are having problems with the islams well what i uh i see it falling in of course with the end times uh when i say with the end times just the atrocities and different things that go on within you know their communities but as far as as far as geopolitically sadly now the evangelical camp is splitting into those who are looking at Europe and those who believe that Babylon is talking about literal Babylon and that the antichrist is going to be islamic and i think that that's really tragic it's more disinformation but really i don't view islam any different than any other religion uh, it's of course it's going to present problems i believe it will lead potentially to this peace treaty the peace treaty the big treaty that starts the tribulation but the antichrist once he establishes himself as god he's not only going to go after the people of god uh, he's also going to uh, go after all religion. As a matter of fact, the internet will most likely during that time be censored, and your program and my information is not going to be found. Yeah, we're surprised people can even find us now. <laughs> exactly, but there will be censorship. He'll censor at that point. I mean, it's just common sense. He's going to censor. I mean, China's right. are, I mean, China has censored. We know the Antichrist will censor at that point. But that's how I view it. I mean, I don't view it anymore as just, it's conflict that's going to lead, but I don't view it as, as having any preeminence as far as the final world empire. And I actually had people very upset with me that I wouldn't turn to their view. You, concerning radical Islam? 
concerning that radical Islam is going to launch the Antichrist. Well, the Antichrist is coming from the tribe of Dan, and that's very clear in Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole, and I, I talk about that a lot, the battle, the, uh, there's many, many comparisons, parallels, and uh, Jesus, you know, from the tribe of Judah, he's the pride lion, the Antichrist is the scavenger lion, he rises from the uh, tribe of Dan. Right. Dan was a tribe given to, I mean, so there's a whole teaching, you know, teachings that I've, uh, you know, taught on it. Right. Sure. You know, now we're all inundated with um, so much news coming out of the Middle East and also Europe with the Ukraine and, and just everywhere. It's not a new thing, but it's something we're all sort of used to now. But in the whole jumble of headlines, are there certain things we should be watching out for that we can... Um, you know, sort of see things moving along or progressing, or is all the important stuff kind of being hidden away? A lot of the important stuff people are not paying attention to. And one of the things that's key right now is, uh, are you aware that there's elections in Europe? I personally was Yeah, I was aware. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So they're they're going to be uh, picking a new head of the commission. That's definitely needs to be watched. The direction Europe is going to continue to take needs to be watched when Europe is going to issue these bonds. We, you want to keep watching that the European Union is going to keep going forward. We already know it's going to go forward. I don't, I don't even have to say that we need to watch it, but, but it's, it's getting so close now that we can actually gauge different things, as well as you're going to see them go forward with a core group, which, by the way, they've already talked about doing as well going forward with a core group because it's too difficult to make decisions with 28 members right now. So they want to go forward with a a core group, which we already know is going to end up being 10 nations. So I watch watch, uh, Europe's headlines. You also want to watch the U.S. uh, US economy, U.S. dollar. Uh, If the U.S. dollar does not cease to be the world's reserve because of its own reckless policies, it will happen via geopolitical evolution, as I talked about earlier. So I I tend to watch those headlines. And also, I think what's getting really frightening is the what's happening to society, the the violence. Uh, We're literally seeing the uh, powers of heaven and hell be unleashed. I mean, the natural disasters breaking records, you know, continuously now. And, and along with that, we're also seeing the, uh, you know, different things going on in society that were just unheard of. I mean, you know, Christians now really need to be praying for protection in all of this. Sure. Right. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you have something, Guns? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to kind of get a glimpse into what you're thinking um, about the sort of empirical state of the EU. And one thing that empires do is expand. Now, if the EU is just just that, the European Union, how do you see it expanding to sort of be a global governance? Once its currency becomes the world's reserve, it will then have a leading, once it unites federally, it'll have a leading say in world institutions. Once it has the say in world institutions, um, then of course, you know, we, we can, it will, under the Antichrist, go into the global governance. 
So more of an economic um, pull beginning there and then and then turning into sort of a policy influencer. And then from there, the Antichrist comes in. And do you imagine it being like how a lot of people think of the New World Order, like a, just an overarching big brother police on the street, drones flying into your bedroom at night type of situation? Or is oh, it you're something- talking about midway through the tribulation? I'm just talking about, how, uh, you know, the evolution of how this goes. Well, we're already seeing the evolution, and you're seeing at the IMF, uh, actually, you know, in my interview with James Rickards, he discussed this, the IMF already preparing for the, you know, fall of the potential fall of the dollar. Uh, he was, you know, stating that they had a meeting, and he assumed that this had taken place, and this is beginning to take place. As far as midway through the tribulation, I did a um, a piece on the mark of the beast, and I state that it's actually going to be more than a payment system. You have adaptive brain interface where now they can read your thought, not only not read your thoughts, but they can direct your thoughts, and you know, and it's come now to where companies are looking for little kids to have games where they can think a thought and they can move a toy. You know, it's getting that um, widespread. So I believe the mark of the beast is not just going to be a payment system. It's going to be something where he actually is able to put his thoughts into you. Because remember, he mimics Jesus Christ and he mimics God. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us as believers. So it's not just going to be a technology that has your information. It's going to be a technology where he is able to control you. And there's another uh, technology that I just read about I can't remember, it's on the tip of my tongue, but it's a major, I think it was Motorola, who has a tattoo. And you're tattooed with this thing now, and it can read your thoughts just based on your vocal cords. Because when you think a thought, it vibrates your vocal cords. So it's really frightening. Uh, Remember, Daniel talks about the Antichrist honoring a god of forces who had never been honored before. And I believe who he's going to honor is technology because he's going to use it for his police state. Sure, absolutely. Um, There was, along the way, if we can take a step back real quick on on some issues that, that you brought up. Can you give us a little rundown? And I know that we should have probably done this at the beginning, but... Just your outlook on how the EU was formed and how it has gotten to where it is now. Because, um, you know, there's a book uh, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, by Christopher Booker and Richard North. It's called The Great Deception. And they actually talk about, you know, they're not talking conspiracy theory. They're talking more conspiracy fact in terms of, you know, how the European Union was able to get into, for example, Great Britain and, and how there were lies that were you know, <laughs> said by the leaders of um, of Britain in order to sort of subdue the people into accepting the EU coming in and stuff like that. Uh, can you comment on, on how the EU got started and, and perhaps how it's gotten to where it's gotten now? Uh, just a short, brief, you know, synopsis of their history. Again, I don't view anything as conspiracy because it's really been very out in the open. Um, but the uh, it started at the end of World War II when... They uh, combined the steel and coal production, figuring that if you brought the steel and coal production of France and Germany, it would eliminate 
war because now you're you're starting an alliance and then six members joined and what's interesting is at the time of the formation of the European community you also had Israel becoming a nation so not only do you have Israel becoming a nation which was key to prophecy but you also have the birth of the final world empire the revival of Rome that the prophet Daniel had talked about so uh, and there actually the um, some of the forming father, or some of the founding fathers had been part of the resistance against Nazi Germany and against what was going on. So, you know, this really made sense to them. They really believed that this was the right thing to do. And at the time, it was also certain British. There's a, a think tank that actually comes out of Britain that helped form the EU, but you also had the British who uh, didn't like the idea, didn't, you know, want to join it. Uh, so that's how it, what happened is through the ages, um, its evolution was sort of slow, and then in the 90s, they did the common market. Now, a lot of the media at the time said the common market. Now, the common market was a bunch of directives so that they could travel and do business freely to freely between nation and nation. And a lot of people said it would not succeed, and it succeeded, and that really was what put the EU on the map. Then started the various treaties uh, to begin to give it a political identity. You see, because through its evolution, the aim has always been political. Again, with the launch of the euro, all of your experts were stating, and by the way, the experts were there in the time of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was saying that Babylon is going to come and invade Israel. You had the experts and prophets of the day saying he's totally wrong. You know, Israel's going to defeat Babylon. Well, today we have the same experts as well, and they're coming out, and they were saying that the euro was going to fail, and within a couple of years, it was, uh, you know, the second reserve currency. So we've seen this in the evolution of the European Union. Uh, there was a little bit of a, when they went to form what's called the Constitutional Treaty, that didn't go through, and then eventually they got the Lisbon Treaty through, so that, that was a little bit of a setback. But you've seen the EU just progress forward and forward and forward. And you're going to see it, even despite the nationalists and populists who have gotten in seats in the European Parliament, this little backlash going on, you're still going to see the EU go forward because that's what Bible prophecy tells us. Sure, sure. And, and, you know, but there is an element of Bible prophecy that really talks about deception and that there's going to be, you know, a lot of deception and just to, to quote uh, Christopher Booker and Richard North from this book, The Great Deception, um, talking about the EU, um, they say here, um, uh, as early as Harold Macmillan, Britain's political leaders were perfectly well aware that this was far more than just a trading bloc, that it was intended to be a supranational organization, which would relieve national governments of much of their power. But to admit as much they knew would never wash with a people as proudly independent as the British. So over the years, European integration has always been sold by successive British governments to their electorates as an economic issue, never as a political one. Do you agree with that? Is that something that, you know, was there I disagree. Okay. I disagree with that because I was, before the internet, I started my research. And I was actually getting a lot of my information right from the European Union government publications as well as the think tanks and, and their... Um, different papers, and I was reading what the leaders were saying at that time, and it was pretty obvious 
and out in the open that they said that they wanted that this was a political, their intent was political, so there was nothing secret about that. And that's why when I talk about the U.S. government, I'm surprised. Uh, in 1992, uh, the U.S. was very worried about Japan because, you know, Japan was, very, you know, growing very strong economically. And, and we were worried that Japan was going to pose a threat. And the economists came out and said that the United States is worried about Japan. They should be worried about the European, well, at the time it was the European community. Because they said if this thing goes forward and it continues to grow, they're going to end up having the leading say in world institutions. So I guess I disagree with them because it's not been a secret. It's actually been out in the open and it's been uh there was a publication called european affairs uh you know the federalist trust writings i mean it's all been there so do you it's think it's not been a secret right so do you think the people you know for example in great britain they were aware that you know they they may be giving up their i guess their national sovereignty in the process is that like was that something that was you know understood or or do you think it was just uh it was out in the open, but people just didn't pay attention to the, the minutiae. No, they don't pay attention, and they still don't pay attention. If you looked at the elections and you looked at the likes on, you're talking leading candidates for who's going to take over this 514 million uh, populated empire, and you were seeing 12,000 likes on their Facebook pages, 20,000 likes. I think uh, Martin Schultz had the most likes at 105,000. You've got 514 million citizens. I believe it's about a million something voters. And that's, you know, I was looking at the debate when the debate took place, a major debate with the candidates, and you had like 50 views. I was shocked. So no, nobody's paying attention. And, and even some of the polls, they're not paying attention in Europe. I mean, uh, to what's, what's going on. Sure, sure. But do you agree that there is deception? Paul talks about it a lot. You know, there's just various scriptures that talk about, don't be deceived. Matthew 24, uh, Jesus yes. talks about that. How the does that... Antichrist. Okay, the Antichrist. Here's what's going to happen. He's going to look at this thing and he's going to say, whoopee. Okay, I'm going to play the part and I'm going to act like I'm like everybody else because he sees the potential of turning it into his dictatorship. And that's what I talk about in my book. You see, there's a democratic deficit in the EU, and that's one of the things the Federalists want to work out. And people are talking about uh, that's why they did the elections a little bit differently. And you actually do have too much power in, in the center. Now, in the hands of the wrong person, which we already know who he is because the Bible tells us about him, yes. Um, but uh, is there deception in things that go on? Yes, that's human nature, but I don't see it to the point of a conspiracy. Now, that's not to say that the, the only thing the Bible talks about is once the ten kings get with the Antichrist, then yes, what is going to go on behind those doors? nobody's going to know about and is probably going to feel the effects of because we can we can see that that would happen then but not in the launch of this thing it's really been pretty out in the open sure and just to clarify as well you know i think it's important to to make this point and i want to see what your thoughts are we do talk about conspiracy theories and things like that but i think both basil and i and a lot of people in this community a lot of our listeners they understand that it's not necessarily, you know, the details of the Masons and all this stuff is interesting material, but it's not really the point. You know, as, as far as I'm concerned, it's sort of, um, for lack of a better phrasing, 
it's sort of a spiritual conspiracy. You know, at the spiritual level, at the supernatural level, there's something going on where, you know, people are being deceived to build this thing. And it, again, like you mentioned, it, it does sound like a good thing, right? Oh, we, we're going to tear down nation barriers. We're going to merge and we're going to, you know, it's going to be this uh, utopia type of scenario that's been, in my research anyway, it's been something that's been idealized for centuries upon centuries. Um, it's not something that's new, uh, in my opinion, that it's become much quicker. It's, it's, it, there's been a quickening because of the technology and the communication that's, that's come about in the last century and a half or so. But what, what would you say to that? That it's, it's not necessarily, you know, the, the nitty, the Masons themselves that, you know, it's cause we obviously, we can tell it's not just the Masons trying to take over the world or anything like that, but that there has been this sort of spiritual deception going on in order to build uh, up to, and it's sort of allowed, right? God's sort of allowing this to happen. Yes, it's actually a, a modern Tower of Babel, if you think about it. This is actually Babel revived. And they actually used uh, a building that uh, their main building actually is a symbol of that. But you also, but yes, exactly. This is all. I think the thing that's so wild about this is it looks like it's just politics as usual, but you're absolutely right. It's the devil. It's Satan bringing this into being. And you see in Revelation 17, or you see with the, um, with the destruction of Babylon, the kings are actually upset. You know, because they they drank the wine in the cup of the whore. In other words, they believed that this was going to to be a solution, and now, you know, uh, it's not. You know, once he stands in that temple, he is going to go seek to annihilate Israel. But he's also going to be going into various nations at that point. He's going to run them up. He is going to spark Armageddon. And, and I believe the one citation, uh, Jeremiah 6.22, which talks about the king of the north, which I believe is actually at that point not refer is referring to Russia, and a great nation from the sides of the earth, and I believe is that is the U.S., and I believe that verse is talking about our going to Armageddon. We're going to have no choice. China's going to have no choice. Russia's going to have no choice because this, he is going to be so strong and so powerful. And now he's running like amok, you know, and nobody's going to have a choice. And I believe he's going to ignite Armageddon. And that will be the catalyst of what brings everybody to uh, the Middle East, which he will then set up as his headquarters. Sure. Uh, I want to jump into a little bit of the technology side of it, just because that's a, an area that we're pretty familiar with here on this show. We've talked a lot about transhumanism and and, and those things. And, and then we'll get into, um, I, I want to get your opinion on some of the, again, the supernatural aspects of some of the things we read about in Revelation. But, you know, the, the EU does have um, quite a bit of influence in some of the developing technologies. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there is a Horizon 2020 um, it's one of the biggest EU research and innovation programs uh, ever, and they're you know spending a hundred billion dollars over the next seven years. They're trying to develop, um, you know, further the technologies of three D printing, medical robotics, and nanotechnology, and and uh, they've applied two billion dollars to the Human Brain Project, the EU Enhance Project. They've developed the uh, what they're trying to do is develop the augmented learning environment uh, to you know create a different educational platform. You know, based on things like role-playing games and video game settings that we're, you know, so familiar with nowadays, what other sorts of um, areas does the EU touch as far as the technology that's being uh, built right now in the infrastructure of all this? 
I've seen some of what you're talking about, and I just want to touch on two things. Right now in digital technology, they're behind, and that's one of the things that the is going to be changed with the next commission is they're going to have a common market with the digital technologies, and that, of course, is going to make Europe stronger, will definitely make them stronger economically. But as far as, yes, they are into those programs. And what's what I point out in my book is we know that the Antichrist is going to have access to these technologies, and he has to be in a position where he authorizes them. And that's exactly the commission, what it does. It's tied up, it funds those programs, and it does authorize them. But uh, I've looked at some of that. I believe that the beast image that's spoken of in Revelation 13 is actually going to be a clone and that God is going to allow the false prophet to breathe life into it. And notice he doesn't breathe the breath of life. He doesn't breathe a soul. He'll be able to breathe life into it like it's an animal. You know, animals have life. Sure. They have a breath of life without having a soul. So uh, notice in that verse, but I believe that's part of what, uh, who knows what we're going to see, what this thing that's going to be. Sure. Uh, I believe it could potentially be a clone of himself, and uh, who knows how he's going to use technology for his police state. Right. The theory that I present in my, in my film is that the image of the beast is actually, you know, some form of an achieved sentience of artificial intelligence. And from that, it's able to, um, you know, submit the mark of the beast around the world. And ah, that makes, yep, that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Yeah. And I've talked about the global brain and you touched on that a little bit, but you know, there's this whole concept of the news sphere and, uh, you know, people as far as far back as, uh, you know, 50, 100 years ago, there's a gentleman named Pierre Tellhart Deschardins, who was a, a Jesuit priest, who talked about this idea of a newsphere and this um, idea of, a, uh, you know, just creating this um, sort of hive-minded society. And, uh, and, and I believe that this is part of it, that, you know, uh, there was a, another researcher recently, Dick Pelletier, who's actually a commentator on technology, who said that, you know, we're creating a global brain and each human is going to be an active neuron. And all of our blogs are, you know, neural pathways. And the internet is basically becoming this uh, effectively a net. It's a net that's going to become our noose, essentially. Um, an internet. An internet. There you go. Um, <laughs> You know, so all these things are, are, and there's a few of us in the in this sort of you know fringe community of Christians that are looking into these topics because you know there's you're not going to find a conversation on transhumanism and a global brain as it pertains to Bible prophecy on your typical Sunday morning, but I do believe it's important. So, what do you think the mark of the beast is going to be? How do, how do you think it's going to be? You mentioned it a little earlier. Uh, is it just going to be something that's going to, uh, is it just a microchip? Is this just a, uh, literally a mark? We have acquaintances and, and fellow researchers who believe that there's going to be a, a change in our genetic structure to the point where we're no longer human. And therefore, you know, that's why the people that have the mark, uh, there's just no mercy for them. Uh, what are your thoughts? My thoughts is that it's going, just what you said, it's going to be the super brain that's going to connect you to him. And I, I believe those other technologies, he's going to honor this God. And we already know the God he's going to honor is technology. So, of course, he's going to go into all of those areas. I don't know how far they'll be developed. But I do believe that what you've stated about what's in your film, that makes a lot of sense. That makes Because you can't just, if you think about it, God is not going to damn you to hell because of a payment system. 
A right. payment system can't do that. Right. It's something that connects you, and, and it has to be a technology that connects you to him. And that's exactly where technology is now going. Sure. But I'm actually working on an interesting thing about the mark of the beast. I'm actually just doing a, a whole piece on Revelation 13, 18. And so I'll have some uh, revelations on that and on decoding it. That's not going to be easy. It's not just a matter of counting the number of his name. Sure. And I, I spend a whole time about just the, this is wisdom, and what does that mean? And some of the stuff is actually pretty frightening. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, I know that as far as the number 666, um, I, I remember uh, reading part of one of your commentary that I think you had on your website that talked about, I believe, Daniel chapter 3, where uh, you know Nebuchadnezzar builds an image out of gold, and it had 60 cubits and, and 6 cubits wide, and there's your 66. Just to, to add to that, we had a Dr. Ken Johnson on a few episodes ago, and, and he had mentioned that along with the 60 cubits high and the 6 cubits wide, it's interesting to note that in, in Daniel 3.7, there's six instruments that are mentioned that are going to play the music that is going to uh, basically you know call for the worship of you know the people who are there, and if you don't, you're sent to the furnace, so to speak. And, and again, you know, I make the analogy, again, going back to the global brain, that you know, it's kind of like those who don't take upon the mark and become part of this system are going to be seen as a, a kind of virus and be eliminated. You know, oh, you got, you're not going to be part of this great new thing we're, we're putting together? Well, you know, you're kind of in the way. Well, Jesus, actually, it's really frightening. If you look at what Jesus talks about, and actually I'm going to be doing a blog on that as well, it's a police state. It's fathers turning over their own children, children turning over their parents. You know, it's a police state. And then anybody who defies it uh, is going to be murdered. And, and mentioning Daniel, one of the things that I state, and I, I know I'm the only person who stated this, is Daniel is actually written for the Tribulation Saints. That's not a book. That is actually a book written for them. And Jesus actually is speaking at the end of the book. And that whole fiery furnace and the 10 days and then the 10 days of revelation I've written on, but that's that fiery furnace is those who are living during that time. But as far as the head of gold, I've got another theory on decoding the beast, um, and it has to do with currency. We see a lot of that having to do with currency. Um, and I think it's going to have to do, one of the things that James Rickards talked about of why he likes the euro is that the euro right now is backed by more gold than the United States and as a currency. And he talks about it potentially becoming a standard. And we also see that in the book of, I believe it's Ezekiel, who predicts that the Antichrist is going to bring gold into his treasuries. So I'm not, I'm wondering if, the currency that he's going to use at that time will be backed on gold, and it'll have something to do with the number, something about the gold reserves or the amount of gold. And yet, if you, you code that number, you now have uh, 666. So I, hmm. I'm playing with some of those things, because it's, uh, I mean, it's just, a, it's just a theory. It's just a thought. Sure. Um, so, but I'm working on it, and um, it's... Coming out pretty, uh, pretty interesting as far as the whole numbering and why the Antichrist is a number. Did you ever think about why he's a number and not a name? And do you realize he's the only one who has a number? 
Yeah, I mean, we've we've speculated on various aspects of that, but um, I mean, I've heard, and and this is right off the top of my head. I don't have any source in front of me or anything like that, but I have heard and read somewhere along, you know, the inter- internet scavenging that there's a number of seats in. I can't remember if it was the United Nations or perhaps it was the EU, where seat oh, okay. number six 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 is not that- occupied. I double check that that's a misconception. Okay. There's 700 and something seats and 666 is occupied. Okay, it is occupied. But now. what is interesting is that they meet on the 13th, uh, I believe it's the EU Commission, is on the 13th floor. <laughs> so uh, that is a fact that they're on the 13th floor. But as far as 666, but uh, as I said, I'm working on it now. I'm working on. Um, it's it's quite a bit of information, and it's really going to give you, um, it's going to open your eyes about why the number for a name, and uh, something that I know has not been taught yet, so it's always kind of fun to write something that's not been taught. Sure. You know. Now, let's. I want to, you know, shift gears a little bit and get into, I guess, the supernatural aspect of all of this, and we touched on it a touch, but, but uh, touched on it a touch. We touched on it a little bit, but... You know, we talk about Genesis 6 uh, on this show a lot, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Nephilim and and how their influence has been kind of kept hidden or just not really well understood throughout the Bible. They seem to pop up quite a bit in the Old Testament, Uh, the sons of God, the identity of who they are, and, you know, just speculation on who they were and what they were doing and, and why the flood and then you know, are they returning? And there's all kinds of speculation nowadays. Uh, some probably a little bit more level-headed than others of what's going on today. Do you see anything? Have you looked into any of that? Is there is there any ties with you know the European Union or just the whole geopolitical climate right now that has anything to do with that? I believe that we're seeing the supernatural right now. I mean, you're seeing the powers of heaven and hell unleashed. I mean, I saw a video of this uh, disturbed, I mean, you're just seeing that this is disturbed male, and it was like you could just tell this guy was indwelt. I mean, we're already beginning to see things. As far as uh, they went into, uh, they actually had sex with women. Uh, You know, you've heard of some of that as well. They call them, um, you know, there was a movie made about that, about a woman who claimed that, you know, a demon was raping her. Sure. Um, The incubus and the succubus. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I believe that we are seeing uh, the forces of heaven and hell right now being unleashed. But while you're seeing the forces of hell unleashed, you are also seeing the forces of heaven be unleashed. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you do believe that there's going to be a sense of revival, people, you know, healing and doing supernatural acts of... Yes, because Jesus predicts that. I believe we're going to see more of the supernatural as time goes on. Yes. Cool. And then how about... I'm just going to throw this in there. How about, like, UFOs? I believe that UFOs are uh, Satan's angels. I believe that those are... You're seeing demons. Those are demons at work. That's what I believe about them. They're they're part of that world. Cool. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we... tend to agree with uh, that sense of there. So what about, you know, as far as in Revelation, we hear about the opening of the abyss and, and you know, Abaddon coming out. Have you worked out kind of a timeline or, or you know, have some thoughts on how those things might unfold? I know that uh, 
once that once he stands in the temple, actually they're going to see the plagues beginning uh, with the, uh, you know, you, you're also going to have at the start the, uh, you're really going to see nation go against nation because, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse starts with a lot of violence and you're going to see animals killing people. You know, it says the beast as well, but yeah, that's all um, part of, and by the way, I, um, death is a principality. Death is one of the principalities that Paul talks about. We also see death in Hades in the Revelation. Yes. And Hades is a principality. Paulian, that one is, he's locked up and then, of course, is released. But you also have death who is released. And death, you know, I researched in Scripture, and you really don't see that death is considered a principality, but it is, and death has a face. Death mm. came in at the garden. He is a principality. Is one of the principalities that Jesus taught. I'm sorry that Paul the apostle talked about. But death and Hades, and you see, and I believe that they came in at the garden with the fall because now they ate of the you know uh, the bread of life is Jesus, the water of life, and then instead they ate the fruit of the devil, which brought in this death, and then death emerged, who was this principality. And I also believe when you see anything with a skull or you see anybody celebrating death in any way, those are demons that are under death. Sure, absolutely. Interesting. Uh, the European Space Agency... Are they tied to the European Union? And, and if I'm not mistaken, the the Project Horizon 2020 um, that's funded by the EU, they you know I think the space program is part of that. They're getting funded as well. Do you have you seen anything on that? And and you know are they trying to? Is there anything? Do you have any or have you come across any information no, about? No, actually, yeah, actually I haven't. I'm I um, am following right now the politics and the economics mostly of the European Union. Okay. And of course any, you know, thing with technology, but as far as that, I think they're working on other things right now. I don't see anything in in the immediate. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm just curious because I've been looking into this concept of a secret space program and potentially these uh uh elite so to speak have or have come across um technologies that are quite a bit advanced either you know i mean some the secularists would say extraterrestrial i would say fallen angel technology that m may have been around for a long time and, and it sort of starts to make sense that you know our generation are the last hundred years i mean technology has exploded and where is that all that information coming from you know how are these people coming up with these ideas and there's speculation on that it's it's difficult to really pin down but I'm just curious because if there is some kind of ties with space and, you know, there's, there's interesting theories and stuff out there about what's on the moon. We've, we've done an episode on the moon and Mars and, you know, potential things going on there and, and how would that affect uh, the Christian, you know, and, and I know the, well, what, we really what are see? the geopolitical. <laughs> the, um, actually, what we really see is the uh, Antichrist rising the EU to its pinnacle of power through economics. So I believe that really a lot of emphasis is going to be on that, and technology is going to play into that. I'm not sure about the space. Uh, that takes a lot of dollars. He's probably going to put his dollars elsewhere. I could be wrong, <laughs> but um, I see it just mostly going on right now, the economics. And, of course, technology, because technology spurs economic growth. Sure. What about, like, black budget programs? I guess in America, anyway, we've seen, you know, trillions of dollars just kind of disappear 
and a lot of people speculate that they're they're funding black projects. Do you think that there's something going on there? Is it similar to what could potentially happen with the European Union? Is there where is the European Union? Where where are they getting their money? How is it? You know, are they just controlling the global gold, or what, what's what's going on with the money? Uh, you know, chain. Well, there? they have a they have a budget, and uh, I believe the next leader is going to increase the budget so that they can do more. But they have a budget, and. Uh, they're looking to increase it. It's actually small in comparison to the U.S. budget, and uh, they're going to increase that. We can also expect to see increases in their budget to do all these things that we know is going to happen to bring about the end, because we know the EU is going to rise to become very powerful. Right. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, is there anything else, Basil, you want to... Well, I was going to say, we're coming to the end of our time here. And I wanted to let you, Erica, if there was anything that we have failed to ask you about in this whole time, you're just wishing and hoping that we would address a certain situation or a certain question before we uh, close out here. What is that? What is burning on your heart to get out there? I think we covered quite a bit. We've been chatting over an hour and you guys asked all kinds of great questions. And, and you uh, had so many great answers. Thank you. And you believe? You believe that you've communicated all that you can in this hour? Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, Erica, Erica Gray, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If uh, you guys are interested in reading more of Erica Gray's material and sort of delving more into her very meticulous research, you can go to what, ericagray.com, is that correct? Exactly, and it has my, sec well, actually, I have secular blogs, but I also have, it has my Bible prophecy updates, my books, everything is there. Make sure to go to ericagray.com, that's E-R-I-K-A-G-R-E-Y.com. Thank you. There you go. All right, Erica Gray, thank you so much for coming on the show, and we hope to have you on again soon. Make sure to let us know when you've got some new and exciting things to tell all of our listeners. Okay, great. Thank you, uh, Basil and Gans. It was great to be here today. I'll look forward to doing this again. Woo! So there you have it, folks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Uh, make sure to check out our Facebook page. Give us a like. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and all those cool things. And give us thumbs up and stars on all your listening devices. Yeah, and if you're on Facebook, you can look for a leaked video of Obama wift uh, wifting. <laughs> lifting weights. Yes, you can see Obama's uh, fitness regimen. <laughs> well, I have no idea how anybody could have like filmed that. I, I don't know. I think it's a conspiracy. <laughs> oh. Erica would say, no, there's no conspiracy. Um, a couple Obama's things. leaked video of working out as a geopolitical. <laughs> the uh, EU planted it to destroy the, the um, Americas. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Um, as a side note, after we finished the interview, Erica emailed me and she wanted me to relay a message to everybody. She said... When you asked if there was anything else I regret that I did not conclude with, she wanted to conclude with this, quote, If you do not know Jesus, now is the time to come to know him as Lord and Savior. 
And if you are a Christian and not sold out to Jesus and serving Him, now is the time to get your life right because the time is short. End quote. So just wanted to add that in there. And then also in the last episode, you know, or last flyby, I guess, we talked about music and all this stuff. And we're trying to figure out, you know, good, good Christian music. Andy Jennings of Dissident Prophet is someone that is uh, part of this community, and you should check out their music too. It's really good. And also Dustin Tishner, or uh, and I think he was in one of our intros in one of our earlier episodes. I think he goes by Blinky D. Another guy who's a Christian who's uh, uh, into all the stuff that's doing music. So you know, just try to help out some other musicians in this little yeah. fringy niche of ours. And yeah. just want to mention. I don't know if we mentioned it. But there is legitimate Christian music. Yeah, yeah. There's someone that <laughs> there was someone that was uh, kind of went after me because I, you know, I played a One Girl Nation song, um, you know, <laughs> and and she was telling me about how her daughter really liked the music, and 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 I responded, and I just, you know, that's that's good. I I, I don't think our intent was to say all Christian music was satanic or anything like that. So right, which uh, just is not most which of is it not. is very good. Yeah, and you know, I thought about it afterwards how that guy had said that one in ten bands are actually Christian and I think that's I bet that's an overstatement and I think that's just you know he's just trying to kind of justify his own position you know yeah probably and, so and I think that probably, might have been a little bit overplayed yeah and it's a little, probably a little different within the uh, quote unquote Christian screamo post hardcore right exactly. uh, world than you know just worship music and stuff right. so just a little and, caveat from that episode yeah and for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about it was um from the jesus music industry episode that was right before the one you're listening to now and if you don't listen to it all the way through you're just gonna miss out on some great audio editing yeah i know real <laughs> real or, or, i'm sorry stuff. great basil singing i was gonna say that that song is gonna hit platinum <laughs> or double myrrh <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So there you have it, everybody. Thanks for listening. Make sure to catch the next episode of Canary Cry Radio. But until you do that, think outside the cage. <laughs>